Before this episode begins, I want to take a moment to talk about a sad subject. This episode was recorded yesterday, Tuesday, September 18th, but in the night between then and now, Hope College lost one of its own. Dr. Jonathan Haygood, chair of the music department and a professor here at Hope, died unexpectedly. I was fortunate enough to have a class with Dr. Haygood and gain just a glimpse at the vast knowledge and skill he possessed. Rest in peace, Jonathan. May you enjoy your discussions with the scientists you once, you once taught myself and others. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you're from. You have a tale. You matter. On this show, we strive to bring you the tales of people from Small Hope College in Holland, Michigan. So join us. Sit back. Relax. Kick your feet up. Plug in the headphones or crank the music up on your drive. And just listen to our tales because it doesn't matter where you're from doesn't matter who you are you have a tale and you deserve to be heard Ladies, gentlemen, and everybody else, welcome to the Tales of Hope podcast. I am your host, Nick. If you did not know that, do yourselves a favor. Pause this episode. Go back. This is the fourth episode. I don't know why you guys would be starting right here. Go back to the beginning. I talk about the basics of this and everything all the way back. Um, you can find us on multitude of social media. Facebook, Tales of Hope podcast. Instagram and Twitter, at Tales of Hope pod. YouTube. Tales of Hope. If you listened to the last episode, you would hear me say SoundCloud. However, when I uploaded that last episode, it said it's unplayable. Don't know what happened. So, for the time being, I'm taking a step away from SoundCloud. Maybe I'll figure something else out. Let's hope. Um, I got a very special guest with me today. I have known this man ever since my first, essentially first day of hope. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> he is the women's basketball coach. He is Mr. 500. Or was it 529 now? <laughs> I, honestly, Nick, <laughs> I don't keep track, but if you say 529, your crack research staff is probably pretty good. I think I found that yesterday. Um, in his 21 years here, he has led Hope to 19 first or second place conference finishes. The only other two were... I think your first couple of years, so, you know, decent coach, I'd say. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce you to Brian Morehouse. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> all right, Mo, um, take us all the way back. This is going to be like your first college class with the stupid little around-the-room icebreaker. Sure. Uh, tell us where you're from, where you graduated from, what year you graduated from, what you studied. Yep, all the absolutely. Good stuff. So uh, it all started at Cedar Street uh, Elementary School, uh, Fremont, Michigan. Uh, took the long road to Fremont Middle School and then Fremont High School. Graduated in 1987 and uh, decided that I was gonna go to college. Uh, looked around at a bunch of different schools. Um, decided that I was gonna follow uh, two of my better friends and go to Calvin. And so I committed to Calvin uh made it through part of that summer and had an epiphany that that probably wasn't where i should go and um ended up at hope college uh was fortunate enough that uh, a guy named dr jim beckering uh, was the uh, director of the admissions office and vice president of the college at the time and uh, he's a fremont guy and i called him up and said, you know what, I, I made a mistake, I've had a change of heart, however you formulate that, uh, that question of can I still come to Hope College? And I uh, said, we don't have any housing, that's bad news, but you can live in my basement or we'll figure something else out. Uh, I lived in the president's guest house. Um, when I first moved on campus, that was a pretty big mistake <laughs> on the part of Hope College. 
uh, I lived there with uh, probably five other guys who, oh, wow. um, you know, also made their decisions late. Uh, a couple of those guys to this day still remain good friends of mine. And um, I was, uh, it was a little bit like um, accounting um, uh, that, uh, you know, if you were, uh, if if they wanted you out of there, then then they would kick you out into the dorms first. And luckily for me, um, you know, I was the last in, but I was the last out, which is not okay. an accounting method. Uh, and so they told me that I had to move to Durfee Hall. I didn't want to move to Durfee Hall because I was staying in the president's guest house, and well, it was carpeted and it was really nice and the VIP I had, treatment. yeah i had i mean what more could you ask for <laughs> i had the whole house to myself at that stage everybody else had moved out uh so i just pretended that they didn't ask me <laughs> and uh so i squeezed another week actually out of the president's guest house and finally somebody came in and they said listen dude like we got like guests of the president that are coming in and you can't be here anymore so <laughs> You know, I packed up my bags and I trucked it, you know, across campus to Durfee Hall and moved in and, um, you know, I, I set myself down, I set my stuff down and I look up and, you know, there's a guy with hair halfway down his back and, you know, he's listening to Metallica and Black Sabbath and, um, you know, I'm from Fremont, so we weren't allowed to listen to that stuff. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, this is this is not going to be good. And uh, he played on the soccer team and um, his name was Steve Elanius and uh, two doors down and across the hallway uh, lived Eric Lanning. And, um, you know, long story short, um, stood up in Steve's wedding. Uh, he stood up in my wedding. We lived together for four years. Um, Eric Lanning became my best friend. Um, to this day, we talked last night. Um, we still talk multiple times a week. Uh, we started a foundation together, um, and yeah, I mean, hope has been good to me. Um, I'm in a pretty unique situation. I don't know that many other people have ever done this, but you know, I arrived in 1987, and I've never left, and that's 29 years. Wow. And uh, I don't know that that's the way I planned it. Um, you know, I graduated. Uh, I thought I was going to graduate and go out and sell insurance and move back to Fremont and, you know, take over my dad's insurance company. And, um, you know, then two thirds of the way through college, I changed my major to education and uh, graduated with a business major and ed major and a minor in psychology, sociology, and history. And, um, and then I plan on going to get a teaching job and I had my resumes all over the place. Uh, Coach Van Weeren, unbeknownst to me, dropped my resume off at the admissions office and they called me up and asked if they could interview me along with, you know, eight or nine other people. And mm -hmm. uh, so I went to the interview, um, did not sleep the night before because my brother was in a coma. Um, he had a diabetic seizure and uh, went into a coma. Um, so didn't sleep, uh, just kind of drove down there and just... I remember where I parked. I remember the car I was driving. I remember I didn't have as much planned as I wanted to. And I just remember saying, God, if this is the job you want me to have, I guess that you're going to be getting me this job because I'm unprepared. I am too tired and I'm not ready. Wow. And uh, I, something must have come out of my mouth that they liked and they offered me the job and I took it with every intent of leaving as quickly as possible and getting a teaching job or going and, you know, being a graduate assistant at, you know, I had a couple leads at Eastern Michigan and a couple other big division one schools to be a graduate assistant coach. And nice. um, then started coaching with Coach Van Weeren. And then somehow four years later, I don't know how, like, you know, the job came open for the women's team and I didn't even apply. Like, right. I didn't want it. Like, I didn't even know it was open. And, I remember hearing you talk uh, yeah, about that in coaching class. Yeah, and I just didn't, like, I didn't think I would be ready. I didn't, I didn't, I can't, I didn't want the job. Right. You know, I just, I had just, and I mean just five months earlier, gotten married. And, um, you know, they made a run at me and said, hey, we think you'd do a good job of this. And I said, I, I'm 25. Like, 
I just got married. I don't right. know anything about, you know, being a spouse. I don't know anything about coaching women, you know, because I thought that there was this, there was this great divide, you know, that like coaching women's basketball and coaching men's basketball, they were like foreign languages. Nothing was similar. Right. And, you know, so I turned them down once, I turned them down twice. And then um, they sent uh, Lisa Timmer and Dan O'Hop after me, who were the captains of that year's team. And they sat down in my office at the admissions office and they said, you know, we've watched you coach the JV team. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Lisa, ironically, uh, was dating Tim Schoonveld, who's now my AD. <laughs> um, and, you know, they just said, we think you'd do a great job. And, you know, went home and, you know, in those days we didn't have kids. So my wife and I would, at, after work every day, go for, you know, walks and talk and, um, you know, and, my wife was the one that finally said, you know, what are you waiting for? You know, I mean, right. how many how many times does the door have to be open, you know, before you walk through it? And so that night I called up um, Dr. Ann Irwin, who was one of the great, great, great leaders on this campus and, uh, you know, really forged the uh, women's side of athletics, you know, to the forefront and uh, is a pioneer. And I'm forever grateful for her having confidence in me. And um, I took the job. And then I said, oh, my gosh, what, am I, what, what, what have I done? And, and it was fun. It was scary. Um, it's a great lesson. And, you know, think but don't overthink right. in life. And I was probably overthinking it and undervaluing myself. Um, and just some really good life lessons came out of that. And yeah. 23 years later, um, I'm ready to start year number 23. Awesome. Well, take us all the way back. Talk about growing up in Fremont. Hmm. What was that like? Um, I don't think it was hard from the standpoint that, um, you know, my family didn't have anything. Um, I think it was... Uh, I think that there were things that my parents did that made my life easy. Mm -hmm. I think that there are things that my parents did that they were really intentional about challenging me and holding me to uh, a high standard. Right. Um, you know, I can remember one specific story about we lived on a 40 acre farm, which isn't, I wouldn't call that real farming. I would call that like a gentleman farmer, mm -hmm. you know, like where we had cows and horses and we put some pigs in the bottom of our barn for a neighbor and uh, we had hay upstairs um, in the loft and you know we had potatoes in our field and uh, you know stuff like that but like my dad's real job so to speak wasn't farming it's right. just kind of what we did to help make ends meet because at that stage he was just getting started going from a, a, an elementary school principal my elementary school principal to going into the insurance business and okay. you know it was tough to make ends meet and my mom was working at a farm market so um, I saw a lot of great things through farming and um, you know through orchards and and um, the farm market and uh, you know I remember getting off the bus and um, you know I got off the bus with you know Danny Gutierrez and you know Danny Gutierrez was a migrant uh you know son of a migrant worker mm -hmm. and he and all of his family you know we got off at the same stop my mom's job at yeah. the farm market and I can remember you know getting off the bus and you know there were some days uh you know we'd go out and we play touch football mm -hmm. and then there were other days where they'd hand us a bucket and they'd say go pick apples and uh you know you learned what you know failure was really quickly Oh, yeah. um, when you're picking apples and, um, you know, I, I was always just blown away by my bucket would be a third full and Danny would be getting onto a second bucket. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Danny just busted his butt and he knew that he was doing it for his family. Right. And, uh, you know, that was uh, their way of life. That was their way of living, you know, mm -hmm. truly making ends meet. And then, you know, it, it was weird because, you know, every you know, November 1st or whatever, it felt like after Halloween, I'd lose one of my really good friends. I'd be like, where the heck did Danny go? Yeah. And, you know, Danny got in this truck with his family and they went back to Texas and 
than they work down there during their growing season. So uh, I think I learned some really valuable lessons growing up in Fremont. Um, you know, I can still remember getting sent to, you know, shovel out the barn by my dad. Mm -hmm. And that was not a fun job. I mean, you're oh, shoveling, you know, horse crap and, and cow crap. And, um, and I probably didn't do a very good job. You know, I didn't want to be there. Right. It stunk. Oh, yeah. I didn't, like, I didn't want to do it. Shoveled it out, came in, got hosed off, got showered off, you know, thought, glad I'm done with that. My dad went out and checked on my work, walked in, and he goes, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing right the first time, get your stuff back on. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> really? <laughs> I was like, I did a good job. And he goes, it's not done right. Right. It's not done perfectly. If a job's worth doing, do it right the first time. You don't have to do it the second time. And, you know, it's kind of things like that that I've learned over time that, I don't know, they just... They stick with you. Oh, yeah. Right? And uh, so, um, but I mean, we didn't grow up with nothing. I mean, I, I, I had a good life growing right. up, you know, and, um, you know, probably the best day of uh, my childhood was when um, my dad decided to take the hay in the barn and get rid of it. And um, we made a full court basketball court in the top level of our barn. And That's we awesome. quit having to you know, take the hay and put it downstairs. And we got out of the cow business a little bit more. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then my house, you know, we live eight miles out of town, but my house became the Mecca. Yeah. You know, all my friends. And, you know, I, I, I've got friends on social media now from Hesperia, Nuevo, uh, you know, Grant, you know, uh, White Cloud, you know, anywhere within mm -hmm. 30 miles, people just showed up at our house and played. Wow. And um, we had tournaments three-on-three -three tournaments. We had guys that played for Michigan that showed up and played in our tournaments. And uh, it was called the Barn Ball. It was called the Michigan Barn Ball Association, MBBA. <laughs> and, you know, like we had T-shirts. That's so cool. And we had tournaments. And But when you boiled it all down to what it really was, it was just me, my buddies. In those days, it was called a boombox. Mm -hmm. We had cassette tapes. We didn't have many oh, of yeah. them. And it was usually either Def Leppard Pyromania <laughs> or John Cougar, you know, mm -hmm. uh, American Fool or something like that, you know, and just over and over and over. And like three on three games or two on two games to a hundred. Oh, to a hundred. Wow. Like, and we didn't think anything of it. Right. I mean, we're just like, who has it better than us? And my parents, you know, you know, we had a cottage, they sold the cottage, they put in a mm -hmm. pool. We had a full court basketball court, and we had a pool. That's awesome. What else could you want? Nothing. Growing up. I mean, we were good. <laughs> we were good. I mean, oh some kids gosh. go to the playground growing up. We went to the barn. You had your own playground right we there? We had our own play. <laughs> that is awesome. So what was that like having your dad as your elementary principal? I didn't get off to a great start. <laughs> um, no, not good. Not good at all. Um <laughs> So little known fact, uh, you know, make it through, make it through kindergarten. Mm -hmm. You know, that was pretty solid with Mrs. Strosian. She took care of me. Okay. Um, got to, got to first grade, you know, uh, Mrs. Cole, she was tough. Um, and I, 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 I might've struggled with some attention deficit things back mm -hmm. before attention deficit was even a thing. Um, and, uh, all of a sudden we get to the end of the school year and, you know, I'm with my guys and, um, you know, and I'm like, okay, second grade, here we come. And all of a sudden here comes Mrs. Cole and, you know, the principal who also happened to be my dad. And they were like, eh, we don't think you should go to second grade. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you can imagine if you're in first grade, the stigma that's involved with that, right, you know what exactly. I mean? Like, you're like, what the heck? I, I mean, now I look back and I'm like, you freaking flunked first grade. <laughs> You know, back then I was like, you know, you're right. young. You're like, okay, well, you're my dad and you're the teacher. And right. what do you, you're not going to argue with them. Oh, no. So, um, you know, it's part of God's plan though. Right. Right. So like, I didn't know what God's plan was. I'm in first grade. Right. And I don't think that they thought it was God's plan. But like, so there I am. I had eye surgery the summer before my second first grade. 
Okay. Right? Follow along with that. The, the summer before I start first grade for the second time. Right. So I get there early because I ride with my dad to work, right? And mm -hmm. he gets there early and I'm sitting in the back of the classroom and I have on my, um, my jeans jacket because mm -hmm. that was, that was right. the look back then, right? And it was like this sort of like, I don't even like maroon color. Oh. Jean jacket. So it was, uh. it was, I <laughs> was a bad else. man. Okay. <laughs> and, and I had a patch over my eye. Mm -hmm. And so like, here comes all these kids filing into first grade for the first time. And they're like, who's the dude in the back <laughs> in the jeans jacket and the patch over his eye. And oh um, so Tony, my mm -hmm. friend, my, my, still my best friend. Um, best friend for, since first grade, Tony Camden. Wow. Another guy that lives in Zealand with me now, uh, Steve Eckert. His name's Mooch. So I got Tico, Tony. I got Mooch. Uh, I got Slick Nick, who his name was Nick Konjorski, and nobody could pronounce it. So we either called him the Polish Wonder or Slick Nick. Uh, and, you know, then there are some other guys. And... Little did I know that those would become like my people, right. my best friends, people that, you know, to this day, I still stay in touch with. Right. And um, how do you explain flunking first grade and then finding like your best friends for a lifetime? I don't know, but for everybody that thinks that there isn't, you know, a plan out there and there isn't hope when things seem dire, you know, it's kind of what you make of it right i mean you got a negative in that you just flunked first grade and then what are you going to do with it i made great friends graduated fifth in my class um from fremont um went on to college and you know the ironic thing is the guy that flunked first grade had a 3.87 at hope college and so you know oh i learned God. to manage my add i think kind of mm -hmm. and use it to my um to use it to, for the good. Right. I don't know if ADD, I mean, people that have ADD might argue with me and say there is no good. Um, but I managed to control it, um, harness it a little bit, uh, and, uh, you know, make it work for me. And to this day, I have a hard time, like, keeping my thoughts straight, you know, for long periods of time. I have a hard time staying on task for, mm -hmm. you know, long times, but I've learned how to cope with it and right. get up, move around, come back. Uh, you learn how to deal with what you got. And right, exactly. um, again, I've never gone to the doctor. I've never had medication, but I'm pretty sure if you go down the checklist of ADD, mm -hmm. I got a pretty good case <laughs> of it. Yeah. So obviously high school basketball was a big thing for you. Yep. What I else? thought I was a big deal. <laughs> what else did you do? Uh, three sports. Um, you know, I wanted to be the best at basketball. Right. Um, and I also, uh, I had a brief encounter with football in middle school. Um, I could not have weighed more than 62 pounds. <laughs> and I, they put me at center oh, oh. because I was the only guy on the team that could hike it through my legs in the shotgun, which the coach at that time thought would be the best offense for us. Mm -hmm. That lasted one year. So I got <laughs> out of that sport. And I ended up being a three-sport varsity guy at my in Fremont. I was baseball, uh, basketball, but by far my best sport was golf. I just didn't. I, I knew it, mm -hmm. but like I was a social enough guy that I wanted to be like best at basketball. Right. And all my guys played baseball, even though I was horrible. Right. But I was a really good golfer, and um, you know I was all state. Luckily, not luckily, I was all state because I really worked at it. And, um, you know, it was the one sport that I could play where I completely had, like, it was on me, right. everything. Exactly. Right? So I wasn't dependent on somebody else making a shot. Um, you know, I wasn't held back by the fact that I wasn't the fastest. I couldn't jump the highest. Like, you know, I was smart in basketball. Right. But I was a little bit physically limited. Mm -hmm. um, and I grew late. I grew really late. Gotcha. So, you know, I, I think I graduated from high school and I was probably like 5'9", 5'10", like 
142 pounds, mm -hmm. like ringing wet. I was skinny, scrawny, <laughs> you know, and then I went to college, I got stronger, but, right. um, and I thought I was going to play basketball when I went to college and, um, well, part of me, I think kind of knew I wasn't, Okay. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I think I was good for Fremont, mm -hmm. but I think in the back of my mind, I knew that I wasn't good, good. Right. And our team, we, we had really good teams, you know, when I right. was in high school at Fremont. We, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we're 20 and 0 my junior year, won a district championship my uh, my senior year. Uh, we, we were really good. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in my mind, I this is before AAU. Right. This is before all this other stuff. So, like, we didn't really know what was, like, four counties over. Right. We kind of knew, you know, what was in Muskegon when we go play those guys. Yep. We, we played in Grand Rapids. We knew, you know, a little bit of the good teams that were coming out of there. You know, Holland Christian, Grand Rapids South Christian. You know, we played Central High. Um, we'd go and play a little bit at team camps in the summertime. And I saw just enough where I was like, there's some dudes out here that are pretty good. <laughs> um, but I was still harboring that hope in my mind. You know, exactly. like, who wants to give it up, right? right. That's what you love. Mm -hmm. um, if I was smart, I would have come here and played golf. True. Right? Mm -hmm. But I wasn't smart, and I was hanging on to the dream. Mm -hmm. And the best thing that could have happened happened, and that is somebody was honest with me, and they said, hey, you're not going to make the team. We're, you, we're going to cut you. Mm -hmm. Like, you're, you're not going to make the team. Um, you know, we remember that when you visited Hope, you know, you said long-term, you're thinking maybe business, but maybe education and coaching, right. you know, do you still want to pursue like the coaching piece? Because we'd be interested in having you be a student assistant coach. Well, the male pride and ego <laughs> at 18 does not want to give up oh, no. the bouncing basketball. Oh, no. Uh, so I said, I need some time to think about it. You know, went home, called my parents, told them I got cut, you know, didn't really tell them about the basketball offer, kind of round a ways so I might have mentioned a little bit of it, but really didn't tell them. And, but came back on Monday and, you know, kind of swallowed my pride, um, was grateful for the opportunity that Coach Van Weeren, uh, Dr. Van Weeren gave me mm -hmm. and said, you know what, like, I'm in. I didn't know what I was in for, right? but I was in. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was just like, take all the great lessons I learned in high school from Coach Eckert, Coach Westling, my dad, um, you know, Mr. Sloopmaker, uh, and then come and start learning from college coaches like, you know, uh, Matt Neal and uh, Glenn Van Weeren and Tom Davilar and, uh, you know, really great, great people like that right. who had a lot of knowledge and um, I must have been like a pain in the butt because I, I look at like how a lot of managers or student assistants do it now. And, um, I just didn't know any better. Right. So like wherever Matt walked during practice, like I walked. And then when I went up with Van Weeren, like wherever Van Weeren was, like I was like a half step away from him. Right. And now I look back on, I was like, I must've been annoying because I, now I'm like, why wouldn't I have been like, you know, 40 feet away? Right. And instead, you know, I'm just there listening and, you know, heck, I probably was, even, I would even say stuff. Well, why would I think I could tell Coach Van Weeren anything? <laughs> like, he didn't need my help. <laughs> like, I, but he was always like so kind right. to listen and um, be like, hey, you know, appreciate that. You know, even mm. though he probably saw it like three minutes earlier. Um Still. But he really encouraged me in that I had something to offer. Right. And, you know, I think that all we can hope for in life is that if we have a passion that somebody comes alongside us and helps us, like, improve at our passion, realize our passion, give us confidence that we're good enough at something. Because um, I, I think we live in a world where it's all about comparison. You know, seldom do we match up to what we see on you know, and nowadays, now in this day and age, you know, Instagram or, um, you know, uh, Facebook or uh, Twitter, you know, we don't ever look right. Um, you know, we don't ever have the wisdom that people say on these things. Um, you know, we're not in the right picture with the right people. Uh, and so I think you start to think that you're not good enough. Right. 
and you know, Coach um, Tim Schoonveld said something to me probably five, six years ago. He said, you know, comparison is the great thief of joy. And I mean, the day that he said that, I was like, wow, like that's a, there's a lot of wisdom mm -hmm. in, you know, those four or five words. Right. Um, and I think that we live unhappy as a society not because um, we want to, it's because we choose to compare ourselves to everybody else. And the sooner that we can just dive into the idea that I'm going to get out of bed in the morning, I'm not going to lay there, um, I'm not going to think about the dread that I have moving forward, but I'm just going to like fire myself out of bed and like go headlong into the day. Mm -hmm. And just to tack it with, um, you know, graciousness and, you know, uh, just the idea of, you know, being the best you that you can be, which is very cliche. But if you think about it, what else is there uh, than being the best you that you can be and help other people be the best they can be? Right. You know, the <clears throat> alternative to that is, you know, being um, not gracious uh, being filled with anxiety, uh, being filled with a fear of failure, um, and not living into other people. And I'm not perfect. Right. I mean, I, I'll go back and forth. You know, I, I, no one has the integrity to live a hundred percent of the time in, you know, what would be considered the good side mm -hmm. of that. Right. Right. So we all are going to slip. Right. Exactly. And it's the cha I think that the great challenge is how long do we slip into that other phase mm -hmm. and how quickly can we rebound from some would say failure, others would say that dark spot, you know, whatever you want to call that. But how do you spend more time in the good you than you do the other side that is you know, the person that you would rather not be on, right. on, on, a, on a consistent basis. Right. Wow. Like, I kind of want to say, forget the rest of the script <laughs> I've got here. We got good stuff. But uh, so in college here at Hope, talk about outside of athletics. Mm -hmm. What did you do? Hmm. Um, well, probably did some stuff that I shouldn't have. <laughs> um <laughs> And did a lot of stuff that I should have. Obviously, mm -hmm. I got good grades. Right. Um, I think um, I think college is a is really a time of like growing and learning about yourself, um, making mistakes, figuring out what success looks like, trying to get on that path where you're on the success side more than you're on the failure side, right? Or the mistake side. Mm -hmm. um, and I made it, I mean, I made tons of mistakes on my way to, you know, starting to figure things out. I turned 50 this summer. I don't have it figured out. Right. Um, just ask my wife and kids. Like, I don't have it figured out. Um, I try. Um, and I think I'm well-intentioned mm -hmm. on most days. But, you know, uh, you know, you just... You know, you're gonna you're gonna make mistakes. How quickly do you recover? What did I do when I wasn't going to basketball practice? I studied, hung out with my friends. I actually had a ton of friends that were soccer players, okay. which is quite unique in that Fremont, Michigan, did not have soccer, so really? I'd never seen a soccer match until wow. I got to Hope College. And then I'm living with soccer guys, and talk about culture shock. That was different. <laughs> um, I lovingly say that soccer guys are a different breed of cat. Yes, they and, are. Um, and I say that lovingly because I love our soccer teams at Hope right now. Oh, yeah. I love my friends that were and are soccer people. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, I didn't get what they were talking about. They're, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're talking lingo, and I'm like, you know, I mean, they would just joke around. And, you know, JP, Jerry Potter, he'd be like, yeah, man, we got to put that baby far bar. And I'd be like, far bar? We're going to where? What bar? <laughs> And he goes, no, we got to kick it into the corner, like the far bar, the corner. I was like, oh, man, just speak English. Um, so, you know, I was doing that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. 
got invited to join a uh, fraternity, uh, turned them down, didn't do it. Um, it was a, it was a really gracious offer. Um, it just, I had a lot of stuff going on and right. I just chose not to do it. I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with fraternities and sororities. I just, for me at that time, it didn't fit, you know, what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me outside, you know, played intramurals, um, you know that was that was a ton of fun. Oh yeah, uh, made a bunch of bunch of friends playing intramurals, um, and uh, yeah, I mean we just had it, it was just entertaining. Oh yeah, um, and um, you know a lot of social life, a um, lot of basketball, a lot of studying, um, and you know just kind of figuring out life mm-hmm. um, as I went. Um, you know had some amazing professors uh you know people that you know to this day i still stay in contact with um you know tremendous influences oh yeah on me and uh you know to this day you know i probably owe all of you know a lot of people a handwritten note that i that i don't write but uh you know the impact that those people had on me uh was tremendous and very much uh helping very formative in oh, yeah. who I am now. Oh yeah. Wow. So as you said, you know, after you were done, you never left hope. Mm-mm. Um, tried, tried, but, uh, talk a little bit about when you got married. Mm. When did you meet Liz? <laughs> <laughs> well, the college won't be happy to know this. Um, oh. but I, was in my first year in the admissions office, mm-hmm. um, and there was this girl named uh, Kristen Cooper. Okay. And since my sophomore year, uh, Kristen Cooper had cut my hair, which is tremendously <laughs> ironic if we were on videotape right now because I have exactly. no hair. I shave my head because I have no hair, and um, but so. I stayed in touch with her and we, uh-huh. we became really good friends, mm-hmm. right? And I had this dog, his name was Chewbacca. Um, his full name was Chocolate Thunder Chewbacca Mo. <laughs> he was a 90 pound chocolate lab and he lived with me. And um, again, I lived with soccer guys, right? Right. And so I would take uh, Chewbacca with me and I'd go watch the soccer games. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I got my dog with me there and you, of course, can't sit in the stands and mm-hmm. we were pretty good back then. And, um, you know, or just he and I are basically hanging out, laying on the ground, you know, on the, on the grass. And, you know, Cooper comes walking up and, uh, you know, she said, I said, Cooper, Kristen, I said, I need a haircut. <laughs> and I didn't even notice who she was with. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, my wife tells me to this day that we, had a incredibly brief conversation. She <laughs> pet my dog and then she kept going. I don't remember it. So when they say love at first sight, eh, I don't Maybe. think so. So I go over there to get my hair cut and, um, you know, Kristen's nice enough to cut it for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Liz comes walking out and, you know, we're just sitting there on their table at, um, I don't know, one of the cottages across yeah. from Scott and Lichty, okay? Okay. Uh, so we're there. And, you know, get my hair cut and, you know, Liz comes out, we're talking, we're chatting it up with she and Kristen. I'm like, yep, I got to go. So I drive home. <laughs> I'm living out on Lake Michigan at the time okay. in a cottage Ooh. in um, in Castle Park, which ironically is where the Wizard of Oz was either written or something like that. Get out Yellow here. Brick Road. And I remember picking up the phone, not my cell phone, because we didn't have them back then. Right. I picked up the phone with the with the wire to the wall, and I remember calling up Coop, and I said, "Coop, who's that girl <laughs> that was that was in the that was that was there today?" And she goes, "Oh, that was Liz." And I go, "Huh?" And I said, "Uh," and she goes, "What?" And I go, "Uh." I don't suppose that she would have a boyfriend right now or anything like that, or you think she'd be open to going out and getting something to eat? And she goes, well, I don't know. Why don't you ask her? And I was, she hands her the phone. And, and I was like, you know, I'm 
immature, <laughs> stumble over my words. And right. By the grace of God, she agreed to go out to eat with me. And I made it into the longest date of all time. Really? I was like, okay, we're going to go get something to eat. Let's see how this goes. Mm -hmm. And then I'll get her home. If it's not going good, like we're getting the train off the tracks before right. we crash. Right. And so I was like, oh, dinner was pretty good. Like very pretty girl, incredibly intelligent, mm -hmm. can have a conversation, funny. I was like, you know, I was thinking we'd also go to, a, uh, you know, this place called Maze Craze. So back in the day, there was this place and you could like walk through this big maze. It was oh. this huge building. You go okay. through this maze, you time yourself and see how mm -hmm. fast you get through. That's kind of cool. So I was like, okay, that's cool. I mean, yeah. that'll, this is going pretty well. We want this to keep going. Right. It's, uh, exactly. can, if this was poker, we'd be slow playing it <laughs> right now, right? Like slow playing it, not showing your hand. Right. So we do that and I was like, all right, that went pretty good. I was like, maybe she'll go to a movie with me tonight too. So said, hey, you know, want to go to want to go to a movie? We went to one of the worst <laughs> Christmas movies ever. I don't even remember, to this day I don't remember the name of it. It was horrible. But it extended our date another right. 2 hours. Right? And so then I'm like, I could show her that I'm a high roller. Oh, and I could show her like that I live out at Lake Michigan. So I was like, I'll take her to Castle Park and like I'll show her mm -hmm. Lake Michigan. As any young guy would As do. As any young guy who thinks that that actually matters would do. So I take her out there and we go to the Overlook and, you know, I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, I have a place right up there, you mm -hmm. know, and, you know, I didn't tell her that my sister lived with me at that moment. Um, you know, Of course and, not. Yeah, so then we do that. It ends up pretty good. And I say, you know, classic. I'm like, hey, you know, I thought this... I, I thought this went pretty good. I, I hope that you enjoyed yourself. You know, I, I'd like to go out again if you'd be interested. And so and we mm -hmm. go out on date two and date three. And as any stupid young male would do, you know, we get to Christmas time and I go home mm -hmm. for Christmas break. And what you're supposed to do in that situation is you're supposed to continue the conversation. You're supposed to call. Right. You're supposed to show, you know, that you care right. and all this stuff. Not me. I'm scared of, you know, I, I'm scared of relationships. I, you know, I'm, I'm scared of commitment, you mm -hmm. know, as any male is. And so I just like, don't call her for four days, five days. You know? Right. And so, um, you know, so anyway, you know, I get back and she's like, dude, what the heck? You mm -hmm. know, I was like, ah, you know, kind of busy, <laughs> you know, but luckily she gave me grace and we kept dating and dating and, uh, you know, then it was, you know, about 13 months later, um, you know, I think, you know what, like five months, probably four months before I was like, I think this is the one mm -hmm. I think I should get married. I think I should ask her, how do you do this? Like, right. I don't know. I'm clueless. <laughs> so I somehow thought it would be a good idea after I bought this ring mm -hmm. to rent a Santa suit <laughs> Drive to Carson City with my mother and my sister in the car okay. as support and write on the way over there a poem asking her to marry me. And somehow I thought that this was going to work. Luckily, she felt so bad for me. That she said, yes, we got married that August and this summer was 25 years. You cannot make stuff like that up. Nick. I'm going to call this dating tips with Mo. No, because it won't work. It will not work. Like only if you have a person who have the patience of my wife, who is the only person that could have married me. When they say that there's someone for everyone... What they don't tell you is that for some of you, there is an only one. And she is the only one that possibly could have married me and put up with me mm -hmm. for 25 years. Oh. So there is the life oh my of me relationally. Oh. God, this podcast is just going up and down and twisting and turning. Oh, oh. man.
Well, all right. Now, what a lot of these people might not know mm-hmm. is that not only are you a coach, but you're also the director of DeVos Fieldhouse Pro yes. and the Dallas Center. Yep. How did you get that job? I was working in the admissions office. Mm-hmm. Um, an incredible woman named Jane Holman was the director of the Dow Center. Okay. And she ran it with an, I mean, it was a tight ship. Mm-hmm. It was super well run. Um, and she decided to retire. Okay. And I think that the, the, the people in the kinesiology, exercise, science, athletic department really felt like it would, you know, the best move would be to try to get the women's basketball coach, you know, over closer to the athletic department. And, um, you know, I didn't have my PhD. I wasn't going to be a professor. Mm -hmm. uh, And this was a way to do that. Um, I had a business background. So the the finances of the Dow Center um, worked. Um, I had a human resources. I had overseen student workers at the, at the admissions office. So that piece worked. Um, And, you know, I take that job and, um, you know, Jane, to her credit, you know, didn't hang around and micromanage her baby. I mean, the doll was her baby. Exactly. And, um, right. you know, she gave me just enough information to be successful and or hang myself, depending <laughs> how you want to look at it. Right. Uh, and then she had a Cadillac. And I can still remember watching out the window as she pulled away. <laughs> and I was like, man... There goes my lifeline. <laughs> they just gave this building to some 27-year-old guy who doesn't know what he's doing and said, good luck. And thank God for people like George Kraft, mm-hmm. um, Doug Weirmeyer, yep. uh, who helped shepherd me through being the Dow director mm-hmm. the first couple of years. I can remember John Patnot looking at me and yelling at me and this was like before you know the softer side of john came out and mm-hmm. he was my head resident as a freshman at dykstra hall wow so he kind of knew me from that and that couldn't have made a very good impression <laughs> on him and then all of a sudden i'm in charge of the dow center and more importantly i'm in charge of the pool yep the lifeguards exactly the cleanliness of the pool and i didn't know what i was doing and mm-hmm. and and I can still remember him just getting mad at me and going, "What don't you understand about the lifeguard isn't doing their job?" And you know, and it was great right. because I needed that exactly. And so I could either fight back and cuss and scream, or I could swallow my pride and go, "I really don't know what I'm doing." Mm-hmm. And I learned on the job, and I learned, right. you know, through people that were patient with me, like JP and and Doug Weirmeyer and, and George Kraft, that probably, you know, would sometimes watch me walk down the hall and shake their heads and go, what in the world? And then I think other times they're like, you know what, he's doing a good job. And I really grew into that job and right. I grew into oversighting um, student employees. And um, I think a lot of people want to make me, you know, the women's basketball coach at Hope, but I also really love my job right. as the DeVos Fieldhouse Director and the Dow Center Director uh, because of the influence that the students have had on me. And what I hope is, you know, in some small way, the influence that, you know, I can have on the student employees. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. So, you know, obviously I worked for you for all five years. Yeah. I know small part of your job. Yeah. What exactly goes yeah. into being the director? Um. I oversee all the scheduling in the building. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're going to have an event in here, um, I need to okay that. Right. Um, I work closely with the Events and Conference Services mm-hmm. Office. Um, I work closely with our um, physical plant, yep. our custodial staff, mm-hmm. uh, oversee all the student workers, uh, set the schedule for the student workers, hire fire uh, student workers. Um, probably the in-between of hire and fire is mentor uh, student workers who might not have it figured out mm-hmm. on how to be a good employee, um, what responsibility looks like, what being on time looks like, yep. and help maybe give them another chance that maybe on strike one I would like to fire them, right. but kind of look back on my life and look at some of the second chances I've had and um, just realize that you need to f- meet people where they're at and help them mm-hmm. um, and not give them 
unconditional grace as far as like, well, you're late for the third time. Uh, you know, some people just sometimes need to get fired to figure out their life. Exactly. Uh, but then other times you can mentor people and get them on the right track and they can mm -hmm. become really, really tremendous student employees. Oh, yeah. And so then when, because DeVos opened 2004. 13 years ago, uh, about 12, 12, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Um, okay. Yeah, when, when the DeVos opened, uh, you know, they asked me if I wanted to oversight um, the Dow and the DeVos. Um, I was young. I, you know, I, I thought, how hard could it be? Uh, you know, all we're going to have in there, they told me, mm -hmm. was basketball and volleyball and summer camps. Right. And I thought, all right, like, I can do that and be the Dow director. And right. Yeah, this will work. Mm -hmm. um, that's not how it worked. Mm -mm. Um, you know, now we've got Christian youth. We've got, you know, the business management uh, you know, night where they bring in employers from all over West Michigan. Yep. Um, you know, we host junior days. We host senior days. We host uh, night everything. Now. Uh, and you know, and everything else that goes along with that. So, the 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 building has got become a lot more complex. Um, but I love a challenge, and right. I I enjoy um, helping to oversight those, but. There's no way I could do that uh, the, that job without the help of people like, you know, what was Doug Weirmeyer, which mm -hmm. is now Mike Culver, uh, which is Mike Culver's staff now, yep. with people from events and conferences, um, you know, like uh, Teresa Bravada and Christy Dunn and Derek Emerson, and, uh, you know, the list goes on and on exactly. and on over there. Um, and so for me, the key has always been, know how smart you are yep find great people and then lean into them uh you know delegate um take responsibility for what you're supposed to take responsibility for but also feel comfortable in working with other people and delegating and uh leaning on their expertise right. and uh, i've been fortunate to surround myself and be surrounded by some really incredible people oh yeah so um Kind of going back to, well, I guess this would be between both coaching and your leadership style as the director. Who has been your uh, biggest influences in those fields? Um, my biggest influences um, in basketball are going to be Coach Van Weeren and my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, my biggest influences... Um, professionally you know in um you know in in my building management and things like that are going to be uh probably george craft and rich ray okay. um and you know one of my biggest influences is going to be you know Ann and Irwin, dr Irwin, uh my first athletic director um uh, and uh you know i think the important thing with her was she gave me grace um you know when i was making my mistakes right. uh, she gave me encouragement and she fought for me when i was a young coach and you know you know the women's side has morphed um you know yeah. we went from title nine uh to me being a head coach and now we're in 2018 and somewhere in between there i became the head coach and hope college really did a great job of kind of you know, diving into the whole idea of Title IX and equality and equal opportunities and um, equal budgets and things like that. Uh, and like any college, you know, that took time. Right, exactly. And in order to make those kind of things happen, you have to have people like Ann Irwin who are willing to fight and um, stand up for what's right and say, you know, I know how it used to be, but we're moving forward. Right. And we're going to be a better us mm -hmm. at Hope College Athletics. And this is one of the ways that we're going to do it. And you need strong-willed people who are willing to give up of themselves and get into arguments behind closed doors for you right. to advance the cause. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons that I'm most appreciative of Dr. Irwin. Oh, yeah. And outside of the people that you know personally, like who professionally mm. would you say you model yourself after 
Um, well, I can never, you know, reach these heights, um, mm -hmm. you know, but um, some some people aren't as well known. Uh, and then some people would be really well known. You right. know, you look at a Muffet McGraw and who doesn't want to have the class and uh, the and just the the savvy and the balance in their life and um, and just the incredible basketball IQ that she has. Right. Uh, you, you know, you got the Gino Aramas. Those are easy people to say, you oh, know, yeah. model after. Uh, and then you've got people who people might not know, you know, uh, the Dixie Jeffers at Capital University who, you know, just would crush me yearly, you know, when I was a young coach. And, uh, but I learned so much from her oh, and yeah. I learned so much for how to handle yourself um, as a professional and, and, and how to schedule good teams and not be afraid of that. Um, you know, people, um, you know, people in my own, uh, league, you know, like Greg Affman, who was the coach at Calvin when I first took over, okay. uh, Charlie Goffnett, uh, was the first phone call I got when I became the head coach at Hope College. And he was the Alma coach and, uh, was coming off a 1992, I believe, or 1993 national championship and said, wow. Hey, congratulations on the job. If you have any questions, I'm here to ask, uh, whatever you need. Uh, I've really remembered that wow. and tried That's to awesome. be that yeah. person for other people in our league and, and make that phone call because I didn't know who to ask and exactly. I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know the women's game and I didn't mm -hmm. know where to go to recruit and I didn't even know league meetings and how you conduct yourself at them. And, um, you know, Charlie was always just an incredible resource for me of, oh, yeah. of kindness and competitiveness. And he would be willing to kick your butt on one hand and show you kindness and say, you know, hey, this is something to think about in the future. You know, hey, are you going to go on this recruiting trip and go to this place to look at people? Or, you know, what do you got for a non-league schedule and how can I help you with that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just think that we need to become less protective um, and territorial uh, as coaches. And, and we need to be willing to yeah, just be good people. Right. And, uh, you know, I was really shown that by, you know, the Charlie Goffnitz of the mm -hmm. world. Okay. Well, so to wrap this up, um, think back from essentially go back in time from now to your freshman self living mm -hmm. in the president's basement. Write yourself just a quick little letter. Yeah. Um, have confidence in yourself. Uh, don't be afraid to jump in, um, even if it's not a sure thing. Mm -hmm. um, surround yourself with great people because you don't have all the answers. And trust your gut. If you think you should go with it, don't second guess. Mm -hmm. And just take the leap. And uh, if it's not the right place, you'll bounce back. Right. And find your way but if you never jump you're never going to know if you're heading in the right direction right okay and then i think i know i and the listeners would know the answer to this next one but on a scale of one to five one being this life is nothing that you thought it would be five being it's everything you thought yeah. where does it fall um probably a one because I I never I never anticipated being a college basketball coach right uh, I never anticipated um, being somewhere for almost 30 years um, I, I mean uh, my, my, I mean my life is I I can't even I mean I can't even explain like how much I've been blessed and right. um, so I just don't think I walked out of college thinking oh I'm gonna be blessed you know give me the five mm -hmm. um, I think you walk out of college and you're like I don't know always where I'm going I don't know I think I know where I'm going but mm -hmm. you're not prepared for the twists and the turns and I mean who would have looked at me when I was 23 years old and said, oh, yeah, you'll be a college basketball coach. Oh, yeah, you'll be a women's college basketball coach. Oh, yeah, you'll stay at the same place for 30 years. 
oh, you'll be fairly successful and like mm -hmm. you'll you'll have all these amazing people that go through your basketball program and that you get an opportunity to interact with and then they go on to do these great things like I, I, I can't, you can't even start to imagine that I think right. you just I always just woke up the next day and tried to be the best me I can be mm -hmm. and the next thing you know I'm 50 I'm at Hope College and I got a pretty great life. I would say so. Well, Mo, thank you so much for coming on. I was very excited when you said, hey, let's do this interview tomorrow. But um, guys, if you have still listened to this, because we are pushing the one hour mark, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, find us on Facebook at Tales of Hope Podcast, Instagram and Twitter at Tales of Hope Pod, and YouTube Tales of Hope. And also, I forgot to say last time, you can email the show if you would like to be on, if you have questions, if you know if someone wants to be on. That is storiesofhopepod at gmail.com. I will put that in the description below. Feel free to send me an email. Let me know what you think. Like this, subscribe, do all the good stuff. And remember, you can be a college basketball coach like Mo. You can be a janitor like myself. You can be something totally different. You have a tale to tell and you deserve to be heard. This is Nick, and I will see you guys next week.